Rack it up, rack it up, I got a bit of the bank to make me a safe house. Shake it up, shake it up, she got her hands on her knees and she bringing a cake out. Smoke it up, smoke it up, I got some gas, some packs, I'm up in the greenhouse. Ball it up, ball it up, I'm with the gang, we taking shots off the rebound. Good morning once again to Walking Out of Lockdown. I'm Mark Abizade, photojournalist. Today I'm here with Simon Luling, filmmaker, media professional, who I met at Ethnograph Film in Paris. Um, in that old theater in Montmartre, yeah. right on top of the hill, on top of the Butte. Um, which if actually, it's an interesting thing. I don't, um, I don't live too far from there. And so during the, during the lockdown, and as they were loosening it up a little bit, I would sometimes go for a walk in Montmartre at night. Yeah. And already the air, you know, the air smells a little cleaner because there isn't as much traffic, pollution, activity, and so on. And there's something really mysterious about walking up in Montmartre at, you know, 11 p.m. Oh, yeah. Um, alone. alone. Nobody. It's soul In this village. And it's interesting because several of the experiences I've had with lockdown are a flash of childhood memories. And I remember Montmartre in the 70s and 80s. And sure enough, at night, after about midnight, one o'clock, when the cafes closed, you had that sense. You had this sense of Americans in Paris in the 1920s and the artists and stuff. Um, first of all, I should mention, um, as background, that Simon lives in Paris, um, has done a lot of work and has a strong connection with Israel, and also South America. Um, and I'm always, uh, very interested in your work because both the um, the work done in Israel, the work done in South America is very intimate. It's very living with the people. It's very much being a part of them. They're the kinds of people that are active, are involved, that have their own philosophies. Uh, and yet I, I feel a great empathy for your characters instead of all, even though they're so different than me, I still feel an empathy for them. You know, I, I appreciate that you look at it this way because I've come to discover, because I am, you know, still learning that, um, that I consider part of the documentary process is finding this intimacy with the characters and it's something that lasts beyond the release of the film itself. Every single person I have filmed, I'm still friends with, I'm still in contact with, and um, I still keep up with their projects, with whatever they're up to. And um, um, so, for example, the, the film that, that we met in Paris um, two years ago, uh, Borderline Views, which is in the Golan Heights, um, the, the main guy, uh, the, main, the protagonist, if you will, of this film today, he's, well, he's traveled a lot more, but he went back to the Golan and is opening near the border with Syria, a, a, a cafe, art gallery that he's calling La Frontera with uh, a little Mexican twist. They're going to be serving quesadillas and um, oh, cool. uh, right on the border, well, making of an odd situation. But it's also so fascinating because, um, uh, and I want to get to the main point, but there are certain aspects of this film that I think resonate for me in many ways. One, you break rules. We all asked you because there was a strong sense of wind. There was always this constant, you know, we all asked you, why didn't you deal with the wind? He goes, no. And I remember your answer. You said, no, I actually included that because that is the sensation of being there. The wind is always there. You can feel it. It is a very strong character of this. And second of all, that 
it wasn't at all what we expected. Let's go back to the beginning of the year as I like to start. Um, what were your expectations or goals for the coming year? Um, it's hard, well, now with, with, all, with these two months that have passed, it's hard to look back and really project. Um, although, um, well, th there's two things. One that was completely shaken up and had to be planned, re rescheduled, and another project where I could, where ultimately I guess I took the, the confinement to my advantage. So in the first, the first part, um, the one that was completely shaken up, um, I co-organize the Paris Tattoo Convention, Le Mondial du Tatouage, which is normally scheduled every year mid-March. Mid-March. And um, <laughs> yeah. the, 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 state, like, health, the state health authorities told us one week before the event that we couldn't, uh, we couldn't uh, be held. And we were already sort of trying to save the sinking ship. People were canceling more and more strict regulations, which we would follow and, and adapt to. But yeah, we were seven days before the event, um, expecting 30,000 people to attend. We had to close shop. And, um, and, you know, and then the, the whole discussion is like, well, how do we deal with this? Basically, you know, we have all these contracts, we have all, you know, mm -hmm. our partners and so on. Though everybody was, was um, everybody had solidarity and everybody was patient. So we're very grateful for that. And we managed to postpone it to October. Oh, and uh, okay. taking place, um, the place where we always do it is the Grand Al de la Villette, which is a late industrial building. It used to be the, the big slaughterhouses of Paris where they would bring the cattle and the sheep from the countryside, which, well, you know, today it's the, the suburbs. Um, they would slaughter it there and then distribute it throughout Paris to all the, the, the butchers. Now it's a beautiful building that's, you know, brick and glass panels and um, I guess yeah, it's I like, kind of I like the metaphor though. I'm sorry, you know, we brand we brand all the meat we eat and here we're doing a tattoo festival there. I think it's brilliant. Branding a bit more meat. Anyway, we, we postponed it to, to October, although, you know, who, who knows if we'll still be able to hold it then, but yeah. we'll worry about that another day. Um, but the other thing is linked to this other uh, documentary film I made, which um, um, titled Oelo Pergilu. It's in Brazil. It's called The Lost Link, and it's about the agroforestry movements throughout the South. Yeah. And um, without being overtly optimistic, it tries to show the, that there are solutions to um, the way we produce food and preserving nature. And, you know, and it all comes in the struggle of, of limiting climate change and trying to find new paradigms with which human, humanity can exist um, alongside nature. Anyway, um, when we were, when the lockdown started, I took the opportunity to myself do the subtitles in English of this film. It was originally only in Portuguese and maybe geared more towards um, a Brazilian audience, but now um, anybody can watch it. It's on, um, it's on YouTube on the channel, on an environmental media platform um, that's quite big in Brazil called Purkenau. And then the other thing is there, a follow-up project, if you will, was born following this, uh, following the documentary, and it is to, to create a platform for all those involved in reforestation and sustainable agriculture, regardless of the method, as long as it's, you know, ethical, but really, and 
sort of a catch-all um, uh, movement. And it's both to showcase this work and to, um, you know, support it and show that it's, that there is a movement, that there is, that it can be um, strong and it can rival, say, you know, agro-industry and Monsanto mm -hmm. and all that garbage. Mm -hmm. And so, and we're starting with Brazil, but um, we hope to expand it to the world. The platform isn't launched yet, but basically in a month, month and a half, it'll be ready. And we already have, a, we're building a map. We already have about 500 dots on this point, on this map, ranging from, from urban gardens to indigenous tribes that are, you know, involved yeah. in maintaining the forest to organic farms, um, restaurants, uh, wow. uh, markets. And we've been focusing on Brazil once again, but uh, it'll be easy. It'll be fairly easy to deploy around like the system around the world. And um, so you've been actually incredibly busy during lockdown. I have been. I'm, I'm fortunate to say that that I've been able to to keep busy and I try to, um, you know, look at it like in times of crisis, there are opportunities, if you will. I think that's important. Now, uh, one of the questions that through these conversations and also looking at our own situation, um, I wonder is, you know, you're a freelancer, um, you're independent. Um, is there a nature of this business that causes us to, to be ready to regularly reinvent ourselves or change directions? Well, you see, this is, I mean, indeed, it's a, it's a tightrope, but like, just like you're saying, you realize that, that you know, the, 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 the cliche is that when you're, um, when you're a freelancer, it's, you know, both you enjoy the freedom, but you're willing to live with a certain precariousness. But that being said, you realize that with this, this crisis hasn't necessarily spared the people we were expecting, yeah. you know, that that conventions expected to. Yeah. Some people with stable jobs find themselves, you know, twirling their thumbs and, and basically losing a salary. Um, I was fortunate to get a few edit, like film editing mm -hmm. gigs for, for the digital economy, um, which kept me afloat. Um, but you know, it's, it's it, anything is possible. And um, it leads, you know, it, well, just like you say, it leads, it leads us to think, to rethink how, how we function, how, um, um, how we go about these times of crisis. And, um, and there isn't really any conventional truths when it comes to at least, you know, labor and um, making money and paying bills and, and, and so on. So, so I haven't yet reached conclusions and we're still... No, of course. Nobody has. Nobody has. And I think that's part of the issue. But what also surprised me, and, and I'd love your, your insight on this, was in reading the press of, of the traumas and the stress people are going through to home office, which I would guess for you, and it's very much for me, I'm either, my office is either in the field or at home. And I that's just the way it's been for many years. Uh, I don't completely understand the trauma because I can work in an office, but honestly, I prefer this. Um, and yet for some people, it seems to be very, not just about their work, but it seems to be an identity issue and things like that. Identity and environment, like the, the things that came up a lot here in France, I wouldn't be surprised if it's similar in, in Austria is, you know, 
everybody's situation is not as much affected by what their job is per se, but also their living conditions. If like I'm a, I'm a unmarried without kids, you know, young man, I turned 30 during this con confinement. But so like I spent it with my girlfriend and we, we were pretty easy going people. So we didn't have too much trouble like, like that. But so rather the, the ones that really struggled are those with young kids and um, yeah, that's fair. Spending yeah. 24 hours uh, at home with, uh, with, you know, tending to children and trying to get some work done. Um, well, I can't imagine what it is and I empathize with them. Well, a lot of people that I've spoken to, the issue um, wasn't as much the practicality, but the community that their social network, they felt like they lost their social network. And that means that for a lot of people, the work environment is their social network or is a big part of their social network. Um, the other thing, just to go back to what you said, Austria, interestingly enough, uh, uh, now that lockdown is ending, 60% of the people have voted to keep uh, home offices in some way. They actually love it. In France, it's the same. They just love it. Yeah, they're adding like now I mean, many of the companies, it's not mandatory, but like a lot of the companies are saying, okay, at least one day a week. Exactly. One or two days a week. Um, but for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And I think that also will impact not just where you work, but how often you travel for a meeting. Because as we get used to home office, we get used to this way of talking to each other. We realize that, you know, 85% of all meetings that people get on an airplane for, you could just as effectively do this way. There's, 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 you're not losing anything, but I think that's a cultural thing. All right, so, um, you know, we're four months later. In your mind, it's the first day of the end of lockdown. You are standing at the door. You can walk out the door, you can go anywhere, you can do anything. What's the first thing you wanna do or you want? The first thing I would say is, you know, get shit-faced with, uh, with some good friends who I haven't seen. Yeah. Um, I actually have plans for that on Thursday. <laughs> we're allowed, we are, we're allowed the, 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 the French government said we can meet in, like indoors, we can't be yeah. out but of groups of up to 10 people and that's basically what I have for for Thursday what do you miss what do you miss what do I miss geez I've, I've been busy I haven't been thinking about it too too much it's but, good. But I, I, I do I, I do miss um, um, like well cultural life and and a public cultural life mm -hmm. you see because okay we have adapted a little bit with these unusual times mean unusual measures and so you know you know there's museums and and things like this who have more internet initiatives and it's all charming but to have something outside that gathers people and regard of all walks of life this is something i miss and it's something that won't be back for a little while mm -hmm. maybe for a few months maybe for you know yeah we don't know that yet um is there anything you're gonna miss about lockdown well, it's it's the it's an easy justification for for being a little more introvert. Yeah. And I'm not an introvert, but you know, everybody likes every now and then to to stay at home and not have to speak with with yeah. people. And um, like you know, there, there was during these well these last two months in 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 France uh, a time to really to really take that in. Um, but but at, at the same time, it's it wasn't it's an it was an interesting experience and. Uh, I am looking forward overall to getting back to a more 
in the field rhythm or split between at home and in the field. Yeah, and I guess that that leads right into my next question, which is, um, you know, there's not two distinct points of view, but two general directions people seem to be going and looking at this is a desire to get back to normal as normal as things can be, or that they really had some, not realization, but a choice to make changes now that you can. Which, do you feel you're in one direction or the other or both for that matter? A combination thereof. Going back to normalcy in the sense of um, being able to, to have a daily life mm -hmm. as before, going out to a shop, going out to a bar, returning to, you know, having access to public cultural, you know, fair, if you will. And at the same time, we do realize that there are things we can do differently. The way we consume, the way we, we travel even, the way, um, um, you know, our, well, our relation with, with the earth. And so, okay, I do have on the one hand this environmental project at the moment, but as far as I personally am concerned, you know, I would, I, I think there's a, I find a new curiosity to, to look what's close by as opposed to far away, whether it's yeah. the Near East or South America, yeah. travel much less with airplanes, do it still once in a while, but you know, um, um, try to limit it, let's say to once a year or, 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 or only, you know, if, if when it's need be, but like, um, and this also comes back to the circumstances we live in. No, no one knows when borders are gonna be open again. But gradually, at least in France, we're able to travel a little bit more within the country. And France has a lot of... Oh, God, yes. Come on. You could spend a lifetime just traveling in France. Or Italy, for that sake. Or maybe even Austria. I don't know. It's a little bit of a smaller country. But honestly, I think there's a lot of our own countries that somehow in the last 20 years, yeah. we discount. You know, I've... I go to Peru. I go to, and yes, of course, there's the filmmaker aspect. It's something new. We do culture. So there's a reason for it. But yes, I think lately there's a lot of that looking more locally. And we have for the last two years, for what it's worth, um, already gone to a, uh, a different travel model for our work and for what we do. And therefore, um, uh, a flight is the last thing on the list. If there's no other way and we absolutely have to be there in a certain amount of time, fine, we'll get on a plane. It requires a different time concept. That the, the voyage is part of the equation, whether it's for work or whether it's for pleasure. And therefore, that can't be rushed. That has a, has a fix. Down thing a little bit. And also on top of that, I'll share a little anecdote. Um, and coming to the, the documentary filmmaking process. This was um, uh, maybe five or six years ago before I had made any films. I was in here in Paris at a, a Mexican film festival, a small, a fairly small festival, bigger than ethnography film, but, um, but you know, not a huge fanfare. Anyway, I had met on the last day, the director of, a, of an acclaimed French film, Etre et Avoir, about, um, um, some kids in a, in a rural school mm. somewhere in the mountains of France and the struggles and so on that, that come with that. And, and I asked this guy, what's the, like, do you have any recommendations on the filmmaking process and like, like how to go about it? And he said, um, 
Look at what's going on down, down your block. That's also one more thing about the, 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 the confinement and the little moments where you could walk outside in the street. I realized that for basically, for a good part of my lifetime, I was not looking up, not looking at the roofs, not looking at the balconies. And there's a lot of beauty there. There's a lot um, to see and to say, uh, yeah. just, just look a little bit up. Is there anything that scares you or makes you nervous thinking about lockdown ending, either personally or culturally? Mm. I'm, I'm not sure, but maybe, maybe it's just that, the, the uncertainty, combined also with the rising, you know, political opportunism, you know, the sense that there's more autocracy, the, uh, it, more autocracy in some places, and lack of faith in, you know, between the people and political classes elsewhere. I don't see societal, you know, serenity or stability in the foreseeable future. I don't know, and I don't know what it'll translate to. So let's, let's wait and see. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's the main thing that comes to mind. Of your three cultures, let's say, mm -hmm. right? Or the people that you work with a lot and that are your friends, um, what are your feelings on how each of those cultures have lived lockdown? Do you have any feelings? Um, well, I've, I've spoken with, with, you know, people here and there, everybody has, um, you know, there's a lot of shared experience. Mm -hmm. The ones in Brazil, though, it's a little more chaotic because, you know, the yeah. government has been sort of anti-lockdown and, but yet there's the health crisis and a political crisis that comes with it. Um, my family in Israel, um, who's not very fond of, of the government and I can, I can understand, um, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, um, um, has, you know, been beaten down and getting a little cynical about, you know, the, the, about all that's going on there. Um, then otherwise, you know, it's just following, following the, 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 the orders of staying at home and going out only within the, the, the framework of what's allowed. Well, let's, let's, let's highlight that because, you know, one of the things I've noticed is some cultures, um, whether the government imposes or not specific things, um, people, I guess, are taking it upon themselves to honor lockdown or even, you know, like my daughter's case in Sweden, they decided to lock down even though the government didn't insist upon it because they have an older woman, uh, they're living in the house and stuff like that. Um, other cultures have fought it tooth and nail and it doesn't matter how many government uh, dictates they are, they're not really doing lockdown. Let's talk about France for a second. Did you feel there was an acceptance or uh, a, a unity to do this or it was imposed? What are your thoughts? There are people, people tended to follow the rules. They needed a little bit of a whipping from the government because, you know, I mean, maybe it's a stereotype, but French aren't as disciplined yeah, as Germans, for example. <laughs> yeah. Let's 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 be honest. And and actually Monday, which was the first day of the easing of lockdown, you had a lot of people drinking along the Canal Saint Martin, and you know that wasn't part of the deal. And so, yeah. um, so, so yeah. closed that now. Yeah. So, so, but otherwise, people have generally been going by the rules, not bending it too much. Even among my friends, um, 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 including the the freer spirits, let's say they, they which I think are also decisions people have to make. What's the most important? Of course, the future, but 
if you don't live to see that future. You know. <laughs> you know. Um, anything else you'd like to add? Um, at this point, no. I like. I think. I think we've had a, a, a quite complete conversation, and I really appreciate. It. I really liked doing this with you. Um, and then um, look at some point. Well, hopefully the the future is bright. There's a lot of work to do. Yeah. Uh, whether it's in Peru or Brazil or the Middle East or or in Europe. Um, but well, you know, I think it's through the the efforts of people like yourself that we get to something more cohesive and more um, um, where with positive exchange and uh, we'll see where, where that goes. And then, you know, aside from that, I recommend that in a couple months uh, you grab a drink at La Frontera in the little village of Bukata right by the border with Syria. I would love to. That sounds like fun. As I think you know, I was there filming Artists for Peace while they were painting landscapes with tanks and a big sign saying, minefield don't cross. And there was a firefight going on in Syria, literally two kilometers away from us, three kilometers away, and we could hear it. And all of that together changed the nature of all the work that was done that day. Well, I hope to see you again soon in real life, but if not, let's keep working. I want to know more about the platform and, you know, if we all keep each other informed, then we're going to help each other make this better. Yeah, absolutely. I'll keep you posted on that. I'll send you the link to the film again yeah. and um, look forward to continuing our discussions and hopefully see you again, whether it's in Paris or Vienna or Lebanon or, or wherever. Rack it up, rack it up, I got a bit of the bank to make me a safe house. Shake it up, shake it up, she got her hands on her knees and she bringing the cake out. Smoke it up, smoke it up, I got some gas, some packs, I'm up in the greenhouse. Ball it up, ball it up, I'm with the gang, we taking shots off the rebound.